Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. I'm so excited to have this guest. When my mom found out that this guest was going to come on the show, she screamed. But without further ado, let's introduce Christina Kuzmich is a cheerleader for her fellow humans. It's not something she ever anticipated doing, but after immigrating to America from Croatia during the war in her homeland and later facing more challenges, divorce, single parenting, poverty, and depression, Christina wanted to be for others what she wished someone had been for her during her darkest hours. Now, with well over 1 billion video views, Christina is providing her audience with encouragement, hope, and humor in a role she never expected to fill. In 2011, when Oprah crowned Christina the winner of Mark Burnett's reality TV competition, Oprah's search for the next TV star, Oprah said, what is that thing that's so charming and charismatic and connected to the audience that makes you feel like, I know her, I want to be her, I'm like her. Christina has all of that. She is an it plus girl. I want to watch her. Since working with Oprah, Christina has branched out on her own, creating parent-centric videos about raising children and juggling all of life's challenges. Her messages resonate with moms, dads, and even those who don't have children. She has quickly become a viral sensation with all over 2.8 million Facebook followers and over 1 billion video views. Christina has a voice and personality that has proven to be a hit with a massive audience. Christina and her husband live in South California, her most important, rewarding, and exhausting roles include being a sanitation engineer, chef, chauffeur, conflict resolution guru, and cheerleader for her three most satisfied clients, her children. And don't forget that she is touring the country with her Hope and Humor Tour, and her first book is Hold On, But Don't Hold Still, which was released through Penguin Random House in February 2020. And if you listen fully... We're going to have a giveaway for this amazing book. Without further ado, let's get right into it. Welcome to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. We have a celebrity on, uh, and the most awesome person, right? That's the title that I made up. She didn't do that. Uh, Christina Kuzmich is here, and we're going to talk about a lot of things. But before we get into it, can you kind of introduce yourself to the listeners? If they don't know you, I don't know why they wouldn't, but if they don't know you, can you kind of introduce yourself? Sure. So I think most people would probably know me from the videos that I create. Which are hilarious. Um, Thank you. Whether it's about parenting or mental health or life in general. Um, A lot of times while drinking coffee straight out of a coffee pot or pouring wine on ice cream. Um, I also wrote a book, Hold On But Don't Hold Still. And I have a national tour. But basically, through everything I create, my goal is always to be for others what I needed when I hit rock bottom. And so that's... That's what I get to wake up every morning and do, which is fun. Did you ever imagine when you were at rock bottom, now if you look back, that you would ever be where you were today? Never. Because your story is so intense. I mean, seriously, I get emotional every time I see a comment on one of my videos or somebody reaches out and they're at that point where they're like, I need to end it. There's no hope. It'll never get better. I, I, I cry every time as if I'm hearing somebody say it for the first time to me, because I remember that. I remember so clearly being convinced that my life will be horrible forever, that I will hate myself forever. And I just, I I have such passion for those people because I want to grab every single one of them by the shoulder and go, you have to stick around. You don't know what's around the corner and it could blow your mind. I mean, I never would have thought 
you know, my life would be as good and and still messy and still flawed because that's real, right? Yeah. But I don't I don't ever contemplate suicide anymore, and I used to daily. That's beautiful to hear, and and it's just amazing to to just watch your passion. I think that's what's so drawing to you. Because there are plenty of people who are in your position who have that platform that do amazing things for people, but they're not grounded in the the power and the story that they had that brought them there sometimes, which makes you so relatable. The fact that you get emotional when someone tells you something that you were at and you're brought back to that feeling, that's what I think draws some people to you. And other than your humor and your hilariousness about real topics that people don't talk about, recently I kept watching the uh, the guilt of the things, the filing cabinet one that you yes. did. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I do. And it put just a funny twist on something that we all do. How do you come up with that stuff in a creative way? How is that process for you to take a real thing that we all deal with as parents, as human beings, and make yeah. it kind of humorous yet really raw? I mean, I'm a very visual person. So like, for example, with the filing cabinet, it's a video where I basically show how I learned to file my guilt because I used to put all my guilt in one folder, which was called you suck and you should stay up all night feeling like a horrible human being. And then I started, you know, filing it properly. Like, hey, this is human. You're human. That's why you did this. Or, hey, this requires work, but still doesn't require yourself hating yourself. Anyway, um, and so for me, whenever I sort of figure out something that helps me, I immediately am like, if it, if it's helping me this visual, it's probably going to help at least one other person. Mm -hmm. And if I can reach that one person, awesome. And so it, it all just comes down to, if I feel like it's helpful, I'm going to assume it's helpful to someone else and put it in a video. And if I add humor, I think it's always easier to swallow any message with a little bit of humor. (laughs) And I think that mentality is so, so helpful that it just, it's not this, I'm going to change the world is I'm going to change one person's life one person's viewpoint or one person's perspective and who knows where it goes from there. You know, your story is really a lot, right? It's something that unfortunately happens more often than we realize this idea of despair and homelessness and at the lowest point, still trying to balance being a parent. Can you kind of, maybe if you would like, or if you can walk through where your head was at at that point. So for people who might be there, who might be listening, what, might be similar that they don't feel alone and how you kind of pulled yourself out from that kind of hole in your mind, in your life that you were in to make it just a little bit better for yourself. Sure. So I got divorced. I left my marriage um, when my kids were one and a half and three. And I, there's a lot of drama that I actually don't talk about because I I'm very careful to, I'm very open about my own story, but I'm very careful to protect other people's stories. Even if I disagree with the way they handle things, I, I don't ever want to, you know, bash anyone or whatever. It's respect. Yes. So, um, so there was a lot of, a lot of things that happened that basically caused me to make a decision that wasn't a smart decision to just basically tiptoe out, not ask for anything. And because of that, I ended up, I was broke. I didn't have any child support, nothing like that. I didn't have any family support. My whole family, I'm from Croatia. My whole family was in Croatia. And um, I ended up sleeping on the floor. I couldn't afford a bed, sharing a tiny room with my kids. I had a roommate in the other room um, that I found on Craigslist. Do not recommend that. Don't do, I I seriously look back and I go, how stupid was that? You had two little kids and you (laughs) moved in a woman you found on Craigslist. You could have been murdered. Um, But thankfully she turned out to be an angel. But um, I, so I was broke. I was on food stamps. 
um, I write in my book, even that story of just applying for food stamps yeah. and how I was treated like I wasn't even human. Yeah. And, um, and more than all the financial difficulties, I just became really depressed and I lost my self-worth completely. I thought, here I am. I have two little kids. I don't have a great support system. Eventually I built a support system, but, um, and I, I don't even know how to feed my kids. Like I'm struggling to feed my kids. My friend is literally asking his manager, Hey, can we, the food that we throw away, it's a little stale, but it's not moldy. Can I give it to my friend instead of throwing it away? And every Friday, my friend would bring me stale bagels and muffins. And that's what I fed my kids. So, you know, as a mother, you go, wow, this is, this is great. I am mother of the year. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just hated myself. I basically became convinced that my children deserve better than me. And I started a list, which still gives me chills what I think about. I had a list that nobody knew about. In fact, I never talked about it until just a few years ago. And I had a hiding space place for it. And the list was pros and cons of how my suicide would affect my children. Hmm. And the list of pros, meaning they will be better off if I just kill myself, was longer than the you know cons. And I... Long story short, and it's a very long story because nothing happens overnight. People want a quick fix. We're, there's no quick fix, right? Um, I ended up just deciding one day I'm either going to kill myself or I'm going to fight for my life. And the only thing I could think of that would help me fight is, can I think of one little thing that I'm still confident? In? Is there anything, even when I hate myself this much, is there anything I'm still confident? In? And the only thing I could come up with is that I can cook. I can cook a great meal. And of course, all the normal negative things entered my head because we humans do this to ourselves. We're like, so what, Christina, that doesn't make you special. Most people know how to cook, who cares? And I decided to finally, for the first time, ignore that voice and go, no, I'm just gonna do something with this. It's the only mm -hmm. thing I, I still feel good about. And so I sent this email to all my contacts in the area and I said, I have no idea how I'm gonna do this. I have no plan right now, but every Wednesday I'm gonna feed people. So if you know someone who needs a meal. Maybe it's someone who is rich and has way more money than me, but they're just new to town and lonely. Maybe it's an elderly man who just lost his wife. I don't care what the need is. Wednesday nights, I'm going to feed people. Went to the 99 cent store and bought literally cans of tomato sauce. I mean, I spent maybe $3 and made a pasta. Nothing special. Just a plain old pasta I could make on a couple bucks. And that first Wednesday night, I fed over 30 people. Wow, I get choked wow. up just <laughs> And my apartment was so small that people were literally having to stand outside with their food. But something happened to me that night. I remember the last person left. And, and I had to, by the way, I had to make a second batch of pasta because there wasn't a, the last person left. And I shut that door. And it was like, now when I think back, it was like a movie scene. I literally sunk to the ground and I sobbed like a baby. Because for the first time, I realized even when I feel like I have nothing, I have something to offer. I have some value. Um, and the next morning I started getting emails from people who came to the dinner going, oh my gosh, I needed that. I'm new to town. I met some cool people. Like these people were thinking me, like the girl who pitied herself, who felt like she was, everybody looked down on. And a lot of people did look down on. These people were getting something from me. And that's when I ripped up the list and never looked back on that list. Life did not go all great and butterflies and unicorns from then on. It was a long road. But I think that's what we as humans forget to do. We focus on all the things we don't have and can't do. And that list, honestly, will always be longer than the list of things we can do and do have. And by me focusing on that one little thing, again, 
not that special. Most people know how to cook. But for me to decide to focus on that was a turning point. And that's what I always tell people, like, stop thinking you have to do something huge. What can you do with what you have? Stop, stop allowing all the things that are completely out of your control to control you completely. And that's when your life will begin to change. Sorry, that was a very long answer. <laughs> no, no. Literally, my eyes are like at the verge of tears because that was such a that, – that passion because it's so beautiful to hear something – I'm not trying to diminish it, but something so simple as a meal mm -hmm. – with random strangers can impact a viewpoint to realize that you can give something to this world without it being big. So often I work with people every, well, every day I work with people, but so often I tell clients of mine that it's not about the big failures or the big successes, it's the small successes and steps that we take mm -hmm. towards something bigger because we so focus on that big picture. Like I have to change the world or I have to be an A student or I have to, or I'm a failure. Yeah. And it's these little things that we can do to someone or to, for someone, do, are you in touch with any of them? Like that first round of people, do yeah. you have any contact? Is there like a WhatsApp group that you guys are like, thank you so much? You know, like, is it something that you guys, you, like, you know them or stay friends with them? I wish there was a whole group. I, I am still in touch with a few of them, but I, you know, at the time I was like so depressed and not even thinking straight. I wish I had had the clarity. Like sign in book. To go, I'm going to have everybody sign a guest book yeah. or, you know, but I didn't, but here's the thing anybody listening to this right now and they're feeling like I was right. You feel worthless. You feel like you got nothing to offer. And then you think of that one little thing and you're going to immediately think of all the reasons, right? Cause that's what we do. All the reasons it's not going to work or it's not good. Can you imagine if I'd done that? If I had not told that stupid negative voice in my head to shut up and sit down, I might be dead right now. I literally could be dead right now. Wow. And so listen to the voice that's telling you what you can do. Focus on that. Because if you start making excuses, and it's so easy. I mean, I could have said, who's going to bring people to my crummy little apartment? Everyone's going to judge my crummy little apartment. Yeah. My friends know I'm depressed. They're, they're going to be too embarrassed. to bring. I mean, I could have come up with every reason not to do that one little thing. And you just got to do it anyway. You just got to do it anyway. And I think the, doubt, the doubts and despair and that negative voice that is so easy to find, so easy to, it's just waiting. It's this little, little gremlin that's just waiting to be fed with more negativity to create this monster. And we, one of the things that I work with a lot of people who have anxieties, specifically that, that fear or critical voice, it's like they become the backseat driver that takes over the wheel, mm -hmm. but you're, you're the driver. They're not, you yeah. literally have control over that car. And it's yep. so easy to let the backseat driver nag you to the point where they are telling you and dictating how you're driving. Yeah. And it's so hard because there's left and right ways that people are telling you and society is forcing or making you feel. But in reality, it could be the smallest thing that makes that biggest difference. So when you drop to the ground, right? And I, I heard yeah. this story before. I knew the story. I okay. love the story. It's it's something that, that brought me into your awesomeness, as I said in the beginning, and just the realness of your story. Because that dropping of how much they liked you and thanked you and in reality you needed them more than they needed you sometimes. I mean, this is the thing. And I've heard people go like, you know, sometimes when I do things for others, when I volunteer stuff, I'm, I, I'm embarrassed to admit it, but it's really, it makes me feel good. So I'm not doing it for the right reason. And I go, listen, <laughs> if that's your version of being selfish, helping others while prioritizing, I'll go all in. please be selfish. Go for it. In fact, <laughs> I wish more people talked about it. I think sometimes I did this thing. I'm 42 now, but when I was turning 40, I did this thing 40 for 40 and for 40 days, 
before my 40th, each day I did an act of kindness and came up with 40 and I posted all of them mm-hmm. in hopes to inspire other people because a lot of them were free. It was like, call your neighbor who has dogs and pick up their dog poop. That's one of the things I did. It's, it's stuff that doesn't even require money. Right. Yeah. And, um, and then some of them did require some money. So anyway, so I do these and the amount of comments I got from people saying, if it was a real act of kindness, you wouldn't need to post it. You're just showing off. And I'm thinking, no, we constantly post, like we see so much negativity, right? There's so much negativity on social media. And now people are going to spit on somebody posting something good. I love seeing what other people are doing, how they're, you know, if I didn't have social media back when I did Wednesday night dinners, but man, if I'd share that, I would have been accused of you're showing off that you did something kind. Yeah. I don't know whose life that could have saved just that idea. So I think any chance you get to post this good stuff you're putting into the world, the good stuff you're doing, if people see it showing off, that's their own stuff. They got to work through. They got to heal some parts of themselves. Do you know what I mean? I love that. I love that's so true. You know, like how, and and then the really then I want to jump into like the idea of your kids. How was it navigating your stuff? Because as parents, we all have our own stuff, our own mental health, our own struggles. How was it navigating and balancing that load time that you had, and through the process of healing and continuously growing, always and forever? How do you balance that when you're trying to take care of your kids, and as well letting them into the fact that you're not okay? Yeah. I mean, for a long time, I did not prioritize my sanity. And I think a lot of parents, even if they haven't dealt with deep, deep depression, we all, let's be honest, every human has some sort of mental health issues. We just do just like every human has some physical issues. That's normal. Um, I wish it was talked about more, but um, so I think a lot of parents can relate to, especially when you have two little kids. And then on top of that, if you're a single parent, sometimes you find yourself just almost feeling numb and going through the motions. You are just, I mean, it was literally like, okay, kids are up, feed them, change the diaper, do this. I mean, it was just, and, and then faking that smile and faking the joy because you want to make them think that everything's okay. Even though inside you're dying. I mean, it's so exhausting. It is so emotionally, first of all, being parent to young kids is physically exhausting. And then on top of that, you have the emotional burden of you're taking care of these kids. And all you can think about is they deserve better than me, which is I always say tough days are a lot less tough if you're not so tough on yourself. So here I am with really tough days. And what am I doing? I'm beating myself up during that, which is the worst thing you can do. Worst thing you can do. And um, so that was really, really tough. Then once I had my turning point with the, with those Wednesday night dinners, I start seeing a therapist and I do, I, I, I wish more people knew this. I always, whenever I say this, a lot of people are like, I didn't know that if you can't afford therapy, I could not. You can call a local university and you can get hooked up with a student who has finished all of their classwork. They just need the hours and they will have a supervisor who they will answer to and run your case by. So there is thousand percent correct. Yes. So if you don't have insurance, if you don't just you can get the help. Also, sorry, this is not the question you asked, but just throwing this out there in case anybody needs it. Now with social media, especially or just Internet in general, you just Google support groups for mental health in whatever city you live in. You will find free support groups. Join every support group. You need to hear from somebody else that somebody else is struggling too, and they've made it through. You need to hear that so that you have that hope and so that you feel like somebody else gets it. Because when I was in it, I felt like nobody understands. And if anybody actually knew the truth of how low I am, they'd probably think I was a horrible mother. They'd probably threaten to have my kids taken away. I lived in this fear of if anybody knew what was going on in my head, my kids will be removed from me and I will be locked up. I mean, I just, I had the, you know, I lived in this fear of being found out. 
instead of just joining a group and going, I'm, I'm struggling and hearing that other people are struggling too. So anyway, it was really, really tough until I finally reached out for help. I think a lot of times when we're struggling, we clench our fists, we close ourselves off. I don't want to let anybody in this mess because they can't handle my mess. It's so ugly. They can't handle it. And instead, those are the exact moments where you got to open up as uncomfortable as it is and say, I need help. I'm, I'm open. I'm reaching out for help. You got to do that. A thousand percent. Yes. As a therapist, I, I very much agree with getting therapy. Uh, I'd be bad if I didn't. Um, and uh, you're right. People don't know that truth that if you go to a, a university and ask for, for mental health treatment, there are students dying for hours. They need their hours to check off a box to be able to get licensed. Yeah. But just so you are aware, like you said, and it's very important, they have a supervisor that makes sure that everything is safe and good and they're doing the right thing and checking in with them. You're not going to be given some Joe Schmo who's going to ruin your life, hopefully, but they have someone above them who makes sure that everything's okay. It's accessible. Today, yeah. days and age, it's so accessible, especially if it's now with, with better help and things that are free and texting and things of that nature that might be cheaper. Um, you got to just Google it and find it. We're in a day and age where there's there's not an excuse regarding not finding help because help is everywhere. Even on Facebook, there's support groups that you can meet. Clubhouse now. There's so many different avenues to get support. You know, also, yeah. on, sorry to interrupt, but no, on please. that same topic, um, I've heard a lot of people, this is just my followers, tell me, well, I tried therapy and it just didn't work. And I said, okay. And then when you didn't feel like it was helpful, did you reach out to another therapist? I went through three student therapists before I found you. my match. And that's the thing. It's a match. It's got to it's gotta work. It's a relationship. You're, when you are in therapy, it is a relationship. I went through two that just, I, I felt like it was a waste of time. We weren't getting anywhere. Part of it also is you got to do the work. You got to be really open. You got to do the work. Mm -hmm. And then the third one, I remember from the first session, she said something to me that literally made me stay up all night that night thinking and changing my perspective. And I was like, oh, she challenged me in a way I needed to be challenged. Like I found my match. So don't give up just because the, you have one bad session. Yeah. And, and sometimes it might be the right therapist, but you might have two sessions that don't feel right. And you don't even realize you have a wall. Mm -hmm. that you got to tear down. Like there's so much that goes into it. So when people say I tried therapy once and it didn't work, I'm like, then you didn't officially try. Yes. It, you didn't officially try. You're like speaking my language here. I should just have you speak to all my clients when they're running <laughs> away. Um, no, but it really is a relationship. It's a match. So yeah. it, and there's so many therapists out there with so many different styles. And mm -hmm. let's say, for example, if you work with me, my style might not be your vibe. You might not like how maybe I'm upfront about certain things or honest about other things, how I divulge certain things about my my life versus another therapist. You might want a different style, a different gender, a different race, a, a, a different religion. That's okay. But get someone who you hit it off with, and it has to be a relationship. I recently had a client who I suggested a specialist, and he, she's like, no, I don't work with women. I had one bad experience with a woman therapist when I was 15. I'm like, you're 30. I'm like, you're 30 now. That's not that you got to try again. You're yeah. It's 15 years difference. You're not the same person. Yeah. So, and even if you work with someone and for 10 years, you work with someone and it works out and it changes and you're not, it doesn't mean it's over and it doesn't have to be that the therapy is a problem or wrong. Yeah. It just might not be the right fit and yeah. be patient. And, and I love that you talked about that. You're just, you're just hitting everything out of the park. So well, teenagers are both in therapy. I have a kid who's turning 
18 in five days. I can't even believe it. I'm my kid's crying. two and I'm crying about it. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I just, I'm like, how do I have an 18 year old? So I have an 18 year old who has been in therapy since uh, 14 and we're actually going to do a video together soon. He's finally willing and like, without me even asking him, wanting to talk about the last four years he has gone through. I mean, our family has gone through hell, his, his mental health struggles. And, and now, you know, I went through it and I'm having to navigate as a mother, which is even more painful because mm -hmm. seeing your kids suffer. So he's been in therapy. And then my daughter, um, she's 16 and she's been in therapy and both of them did not click with the first therapist. And they're now for over a year each with different therapists. But again, my son was willing to like try another one because he was really struggling. My daughter was like, nope, try therapy. Don't like it. And so I was like, <laughs> okay, let's make a deal. I know you're struggling with some stuff. I personally, and I know some parents think this is nuts. I personally think every teenager should have a therapist because they just need an, another adult. to Who's not their parent. Yes. Yes. And I told Matea, my daughter, I said, Matea, what if you're frustrated with me? What if, what if you feel like, you know, there's something about me that you're not ready to speak to me about? I want you to be willing to speak to me, but I'd rather you speak to someone than no one if you're not willing to, you know, complain to me about me or whatever. Yeah. So anyway, so she was like, okay, I'll give it another try. And now she will literally cancel plans with friends not to miss her therapy session because she gets so much out of it. Wow. I wish so, all my teenage clients were like that. <laughs> parents, please, like being a teenager is so hard. It is so, I mean... It is so hard. Why not have them talk to somebody? It doesn't hurt. They and it doesn't mean they're broken. And I want to. No. It doesn't mean something's wrong with them. No. They just need someone to talk to. That's all yeah. it is. And if you if you take your kids to get a physical once a year, why wouldn't you have them also just have somebody to? It doesn't have to be every week. You could have no. them go twice a month, once a month. Yeah. But just have someone to check in and make sure they're in a good place mentally and emotionally. It doesn't hurt. I love that. Uh, yes, a thousand percent. Yes. Everything you're saying. Yes. It's so important because I think there's a stigma and you talked about it before. I wish we talked about it more. I hope that people are talking about it more and your platform does it so well. You know, when I, when I first had my daughter, um, I had crazy panic attacks. I thought I was dying and wow. there was this automatic guilt that I had one as a therapist, like get it together, Ellie, you're a therapist, you know, this. And the second thing was I'm a terrible parent. I'm anxious about my child. So I had postpartum anxiety as a father, my wife was, she's a warrior. She's amazing. And uh, she's like, I was like, as a therapist, I'm watching her. I'm looking like, are you okay? Are you okay? And I was the one who was totally suffering, but I didn't realize it because I was so focused on her. And, you know, people talking about this, like your struggles as a parent, as a human and, and bringing it out more makes people feel comfortable that they know that it's okay. Yeah. How, when you put out your first, like, public thing. I know Oprah, you know, found you and said, you're amazing and all that stuff. And you had that gold check from Oprah, which is amazing and so cool. And, um, and, uh, if you're listening, Oprah, I'm a big fan, but in the end, <laughs> she's not listening. It's okay. But, um, how was it like putting that out there? Cause I know when I shared my anxiety attack, my panic attack, and that I take medication and I went to therapy as a therapist and still do and all that kind of stuff, I was worried and I don't have a big platform. I'm nobody yet. I have my own life. You know, I'm not out there in the public. When you put yourself out there in the public, you write a book, all that kind of world. What are the fears that go into it? How do you kind of say, no, 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 remind yourself I'm doing the right thing. I'm sharing my story. Hopefully someone will like it. Well, so when I first started making my videos, um, they were all funny. If you look at the first few videos I created, all just humor. And then 
I started hearing from parents who were like, oh, you make me laugh. And I needed it because just between you and me, I'm struggling with depression. Just between you and me, I'm, you know, like you said, I'm having panic attacks and having that. And so then I thought, man, I need, they don't even know, like none of these people know what I went through. And so I went in my car and shot this one video. It, look it up after you hear this interview, but it's called good enough. And, um, I'm sitting in my car and I basically open up that I was depressed and that I was in therapy. And I share this perspective that my therapist shared with me that really, really helped. And before I post, I sent it to a friend of mine and he said, no, you cannot post this. Christina, A, you're known as the funny mom, stick with it. And this guy's a producer in Hollywood. So I'm like, I'm going to ask for his opinion. He goes, second of all, the minute you start talking about therapy and mental, and you say you're depressed, people are going to judge, blah, blah, blah. And so I read his whole thing and I thought every reason he's not telling me to talk about it is the reason I should talk about it. Um, and even that makes emotional because the first thing that crossed my mind was I could have used this when I was struggling, man. I like, I wish I, I, I can't even tell you how much it would have helped if somebody had sent me a video with a mom that looks like she's got it all together, opening up about this stuff. And so I just clicked post and it, it went crazy. Like the views went crazy, the comments, the mess, right. And of course there was judgment too. And of course there was hate too. I mean, somebody literally responded to that video and said, well, you should have killed yourself because your kids will be better off. I mean, every range of hate, somebody said like, oh, you know, stick with comedy or, oh, well, now we know all the comedians are crazy. You know, obviously this comes from you being crazy. I mean, every judgment, judgment about, you know, I mentioned in the video that I didn't have a lot of money, judgment about that. But here's the thing. That's, those aren't, that's not the reason to not talk about it. There will always, and here's the other thing. You can't win. You can't win. When I taught just the other day, I posted how I was in a cover of a magazine in Croatia where I'm from. And, and there was a guy that commented on it. I was like, what happened to humbleness? You know, and it's like, you can't win. (laughs) If you talk about the fact that you were depressed and broke, you will get judged. If you talk about the fact that you are accomplished, you will get judged. So instead of worrying what, about what anybody thinks, just, this is what I do. I use my pain for purpose. I don't believe that everything happens for a reason. Personally, just because I can't tell a mother whose three-year-old is dying of cancer, well, this is happening for a reason. I, I, that's my personal belief. Yeah. But I do believe that we can take the pain, the story we have that we've gone through and turn it into a purpose. And if you turn it into a purpose, you can literally save lives. You don't need to have my platform. You don't need to be making viral videos. You don't need to write a book. You can do it in your own neighborhood. You can do it with your kids. You can do it with your kids' friends. Just sharing your story will literally save lives. Because when I was suicidal, none of my friends knew. They knew I was depressed. But none of them knew I had that list of pros and cons. And in fact, I posted a TikTok a while back where I show pictures of me during that time. And I'm smiling and I'm laughing and I'm snuggling with my kids. I had that list in my pocket during those pictures. Nobody would have known. So you sharing your story, you don't even know if the person listening who seems to have it all together is going to hear that. And that will be the reason they decide to stick around or rip up that list they made. Mm -hmm. So share your story and do not worry about the judgment. By the way, the judgment is coming from people who probably need your story the most. They just can't even admit it because they're in so much pain. You know, I recently spoke to an amazing person. Her name is Dr. Courtney Tracy. 
Her account is called The Truth Doctor. And she's um, been through uh, drug and alcohol addiction and mental health and anxiety. And I had her on the show and we we're talking about being honest as a therapist and the scary truth of showing up as a therapist on social media to say, hey, I struggle when therapists sometimes are put on a pedestal of perfection. Mm. And I think the same thing goes for moms. Yeah. For some reason, not dad so much. And that bothers me as a father because I value, like, I really love I being like a dad. I insult to fathers, but yeah. <laughs> no, but like, I feel like moms have this pedestal that they have to have their stuff together, even a slight off. Mm-hmm. Sorry, you're not a good mom. And it's such a ridiculous concept that we look at people in that way, even the celebrities, even all these people who make mistakes. And I think we lose touch with the idea of what it means to be human. And your videos and your ideas and your content are all about what it means to be human. Is there a point where you like look at your life and you're like, uh, or all the haters and you, and, and it just like gets overwhelming at points when you're just, you feel like you're trying to do too much to, to bring that point across or is this like there's a common clarity because you have found that purpose? There's a common clarity now. When I first started um, putting myself out there and I was receiving Kate, I did the I had the normal human reaction of laying in bed late at night and going, oh, should I have said that differently? And man, I should have communicated that. And oh, maybe I shouldn't have posted that video. Maybe I should stop doing this. These videos are dumb. All those normal feelings. And then um, what helped me, and I actually write about this in my book, is I started Again, like I said before, I'm a very visual person. And I started going, oh my gosh, this is not my suitcase they're handing me. They're handing me their suitcase. All the haters, all the judgment, right? They have a suitcase full of their own crap, the stuff they've been through, the stuff they're unhappy about. And they think that pain is like dodgeball. You're going to take that ball of pain. You're going to throw it at somebody and it's out of your hand, right? They're going to hand me that suitcase and it's out of their hand. But that's not what happens because being a crappy human will never make you a happy human, right? And so what I realized is I was being like a bellhop. I was just picking up everybody's suitcases. And sometimes that suitcase can come from your own dad, right? It can come from people closest to you. I was just carrying everybody's suitcases. And then I started this little exercise in my head where I would, the minute I would read a hateful comment or or even receive judgment in person, I would just stop for a second. I go, is this my suitcase? Am I really a horrible person? Am I really all these things they're saying, you know, or is this their suitcase and they're trying to hand it to me. And the minute I started doing that, I was like, no, thank you. Like literally that became my bond. No, thank you. I love you. You gotta, you gotta hand that suitcase to a therapist and and unpack it there. I'm not going to be your bellhop anymore. So now I have this calmness about when I see hatred, I'm like, this person is in pain. And they're trying to hand me their suitcase. What a perspective. That's an unbelievable visual. I'm like seeing it in my mind. Do your kids ever get embarrassed by your videos? Like, mom, really? Uh, Well, I have agreement with my older two. My younger one, I'm going to probably have to start the agreement soon because he's seven. When he was baby, he didn't have a say. But my older two have an agreement where I'm not allowed to say anything on social media about them without their permission. I'm not allowed to um, even post a picture. Like, there was one Christmas, they wouldn't even let me post the family picture. Wow. And that was fine. I respect that. So because I'm so public, I feel like I felt like I owed it to them. And so anytime you hear me speak about my kids, it has been approved as, you know, if it's a specific story or whatever. Um, so I think because of that, like they, they definitely don't think my videos are interesting or funny, <laughs> mom. but but at least there's not like this resentment or anger, which I, I guarantee you there would have been some of that if I was just like, I'm going to post whatever I want and not respect them. So that's helped having that boundary. Amazing. Last couple of questions. You know, when did you realize the impact you had? I know you had that moment 
at that, you know, Wednesday night dinner where you sat on the floor. But when did it finally hit you now when your platform was at a point where you're reaching more people and helping people? How was that moment for you um, to realize, oh, wow, I, I really am making a difference on a bigger scale than just 30 people at a party? I mean, to be honest, I try so hard not to focus on that because I have this fear. I have a, a let's just say close family member without naming names who my whole life made it about them and like what they could, the influence they have and the right. And, and I feel like I've something I've discussed in therapy, by the way. And I feel like I've almost spent my life fighting not to be that, that it's distracting me from just fighting to be me. Right. I was always trying to avoid being something instead of saying, who am I? And so, um, so I still struggle with like, I, I don't, I don't want to put too much focus on that because I worry I'm going to, it's going to yeah. go to my, or I'm going to think I'm more special than somebody else. Yeah. And I don't ever want to feel that way, but I do have these moments where, you know, especially when I'm touring and I meet someone face to face, because some, there's something different about someone saying something to you face to face and reading a comment. Right. Yeah. And somebody will say to me, you know, you helped me walk through this part of my life or, or uh, there was this one, can I tell you a quick story? I don't know if we're running out of time. You can um, go for it. You have, you have all my time. There was this one story that, literally like I had to take a, so I do these meet and greets and usually it's like person after person. I, I had to tell my tour manager, like, I need a break. I'm sorry. Tell these people I need a break. And I went into a different room and cried. What happened is this woman came up to me. It was at a Florida show. And she is like two years ago. And she said, I took my kids to school, went back home and left them each a goodbye note on their bed. I'm going to cry on their beds because I was going to kill myself. And I went to the bridge where I was going to jump. And I had in my phone, in the notes section of my phone, I had written a text that I was going to send to all my loved ones. And I opened my phone to copy, paste, and send that text before I jumped. And I don't know why, but my when I opened my phone, it was on Facebook, and it was one of your videos. And I stopped and watched it, and I walked off the bridge. And I literally, I felt like I couldn't breathe when she told me the story. And that's when I was like, okay, time out. I cannot continue this meet and greet right now. Like, when I hear stories like that, and again... The most important part of this is there's nothing more special of my story than anybody else who has struggled. People just need to talk about it. Right. And so if I hadn't shared that video, if she hadn't watched it, right, maybe she wouldn't be here. So that's the point where I'm like, Oh, Christina, who cares about the judgment? Share it all. Talk about the suicide list. Talk about being depressed. Talk about, you know, the mistakes you make in parenting every day. I still make mistakes all the time. Talk about all of it. Because you don't know who's going to hear it. And it might literally change the course, not just their life, but her girls. Her girls have a mom now. So Whew. everybody just share your share your mess. Share your mess. I'm about to lose it. That was such an impactful story. That, that's so beautiful to hear the power that some a person to person has. Mm-hmm. Just two human beings connecting, whether it's through a video, whether it's through the podcast, whether it's through in person to find something that speaks to you. Um, and lastly, because we, we can talk about our, you know, you're such a great person to talk to. And I, I could ask you a billion questions about your story and your book is so amazing and everyone needs to buy it. Um, and if you're listening here, I would love, we're going to do a giveaway about buying her, buying someone a book um, oh. because it's just, it's so important. We have to, I, I'll buy anyone multiple copies of the book. It's, it's just a, it's just a powerful story. And so it's a mix of funny and knowledge and just realness that every parent, every parent and person needs to read. But for the person who's struggling, 
who might be at that low right now, who needs that video, who needs that, 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 that pick me up. What are one or two things you can say to someone that can be helpful to be supportive in their time of need? Um, I think, well, number one, and I'm sort of going back to the Wednesday night dinner story. You have to stop focusing on all the things you don't have and can't do, because I guarantee you, if you're struggling, one of the reasons you're struggling is because that's, that's the, that's the message you've been saying to yourself and just find, find the one little thing that brings you joy. Find the one little thing that you're confident and then do something with that. Even if it seems insignificant. Um, One of the things I, I always think about is, you know, when you're, for example, I was planning on buying this one kind of car. This is going somewhere, by the way. Um, I was planning on buying this one kind of car a few years ago. And all of a sudden, because I was looking at this one type of car, I start seeing the car everywhere. Do you know how that happens? Or you plan on buying a certain breed of dog. I see a Honda CRV everywhere because I drive one. I'm like, oh, well, they're everywhere. Right. And so that's how we, that's how powerful our minds are. It's not that there were less less of that car before. Mm -hmm. It's just that now that it's in your head, you're noticing it, right? Okay. Same thing with how we treat ourselves. If you are telling yourself constantly that you are not capable, that you have nothing to offer, your mind will literally point out every time you fail, every time you're missing something, that's the way our brain works. It's going to point out just like it's pointing out that car. It's going to point out, see, you didn't handle that well with your kids. See, you have nothing to offer. See, you slept in again instead of getting up and now you didn't get stuff done literally it will point out. So you have to retrain your brain. Stop every moment you get something done right. And by the way, getting out of bed when you're depressed, that is something to acknowledge and praise. Taking a shower. I mean, I know from my struggles and my son's struggles, the days he got up and brushed his teeth, it wasn't like, so what? It was, wow, amazing. Celebrate that. Celebrate every little one because you are dwelling on every little negative. Start dwelling on every little positive. Start dwelling on every little positive and then just be so good to yourself. I have this rule and I mentioned it in a post the other day. I was just going to quote it. Okay. I have a rule where the tougher the day, the kinder I have to be to myself. I literally was just just going to, I was just going to read it. (laughs) But it's literally like, and it sounds so stupid or simple or whatever. I don't care. It helps me. So if I wake up and it is a bad day, I'm feeling down, my kids are struggling, I got bad news, maybe things are within or out of my control, it doesn't matter, it's just a bad day. I literally stop and I go, oh, well, you know what that means, Christina, you know the rule. Now you gotta be so freaking good to yourself. Like treat yourself the way you would treat your most loved ones. I mean, be so forgiving, extra grace, extra kindness, extra love, like treat yourself so gently today. And I'm telling you just, that reminder to be good to yourself on those tough days makes the tough day easier. We are our own worst bullies. I made a video, another video I want you guys to watch, called The Things We Tell Ourselves. And I basically invited all these people over and said, tell me all the bad things you say to yourself in your head. And they started listing, I'm fat, I'm incapable, I'm a bad mother. And then to their surprise, I pulled out a childhood picture of each of them. And I showed it to them. And I said, now say it to this girl. Hmm. And it was like this cute little four or five-year-old face looking at them. And not one person could do it because they realized it's so easy to tell yourself, I'm lazy, I'm this, I'm that. The minute you have to say it to a five-year-old face, you go, whoa, I am so cruel. So if that helps you, I wish I thought of that when I was, you know, down and depressed, I would have had a picture of myself in every room. And every time that thought crossed my mind, I would have looked at that picture and tried to say it to that person. Being 
kind and forgiving of yourself and accepting that you will make mistakes, not because you're inadequate, but because you are human is going to make the tough things in life easier. And also if anything else, just stick around because a bad year two or five does not equal a bad life. It equals a bad year two or five. So true. Sorry. I I gave like the longest answer. No, you do not have to apologize. Like if you ask me, easy things i can tell you i'm not here to ask easy <laughs> questions i love I, I love everything you said and you know to quote um my my daughter's favorite movie frozen 2 um oh. and and uh Kristen bell's idea that she heard from her therapist that then she put into the movie of do the next right thing mm-hmm. right that was her therapist's idea not yeah. to be in the movie but in a therapy session that Kristen bell opens up about and one of the reasons why i admire her work and your work and the honesty of therapy and mental health she says do the next right thing that yeah. could be, like you said, getting out of your bed. Mm-hmm. And then what, what is the next right thing? Yeah. Taking care of your kid. What's the next right thing? What's the next right thing? And then you build a day of right yeah. things and you can look back on the day and go, oh, I did great. Yeah. And so I, I really just want to thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. My mom wants me to thank you for being, she's just a huge fan. Um, and really all the honesty that you bring to the world of parenting, of mental health and realness of what it means to be human. I hope it continues forever uh, and doesn't stop. Um, And I hope you inspire, you've inspired me, but inspire other people to share, talk, and be there for their their loved ones and for their fellow humans in the best way that we can to make this world a better place. So I know it's pretty obvious, but where can people find you? Where can they see your stuff? Where can they book a tour to see you in person? Sure. So I'm on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, sort of TikTok. I hate TikTok. Um, So do I. At, at Christina with a K, last name K-U-Z-M-I-C. And then um, if you go to my social media pages, you'll also see the 13 cities I'm going to be on tour this fall. So come see me if I'm coming near you. I would love for you to see my show. Thank you so much for coming on and making the time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much to listening to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. And it only is happening because of you, the listeners, tuning in every week, even twice a week, to this show all about mental health, relationships, and wellness topics. And really, let's be honest, everything in between. And I'm so excited to show up every time and having great guests. So thank you. And if you have any questions, concerns, ideas, collaborations, email me at thedudetherapist at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at thedudetherapist. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know your ideas. I can't wait to hear from you. And if you can go along, subscribe, rate, review on all the streaming sites that you're listening on. I truly appreciate it because that's what makes this thing happen. So thanks for tuning in this week. And see you next time on the Dude Therapist Podcast, because we've got more guests and more great content coming your way.